I want to read from 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. We're going to save verse 21 for next week as our last sermon in 1 John. It'll actually be the shortest text I've ever preached, I think. Until I get to, uh, what is it, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. First John chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Are you there? Everybody got it? How much more time you need? We good? We know, it says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him, who is true. And we are in Him, who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Father, we ask that as we come into this text this morning that You would open our eyes, that we might see your truth, and it might be applied to our life, that we might experience Jesus in, his, in this presence, uh, or in this gathered community this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was an old man who was struggling for assurance of his salvation. And uh, he spoke to a pastor about this. And he said, I, I don't know, I don't know if I have eternal life. There's a, a lot of mystery there. I'm, I don't have confidence in my salvation in Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in Christ? He went through the gospel with him. Yes, I am. Turn from your sin. But he lacked assurance. Let me ask you this question, church. How do you know that you're saved? Do you have assurance of your salvation? Is, is eternal life for you a mystery? Or is that a, do you have confidence that eternal life with God in heaven is your destination? And so the pastor then talks to this old man and he says, well, what if, uh, he says, what if an angel were to appear to you one night? And the angel were to come, out, come along and say, hey, you are saved. Know that you have salvation. Be assured that you are are saved. Would that, be, would that be enough? And so the man says, yeah, that would actually be pretty good. If I could get a visit from an angel that would assure me of my salvation, I would be, I would be, I would be good to go. And then the, the pastor says, okay, what if on your deathbed, Satan shows up? And Satan says, I was that angel. And the man, the old man, just kind of looks at the pastor dumbfounded. The pastor says, God has given us something much better, much greater, than an angel. God has given us his very own son, Jesus Christ. And through the son and through the Holy Spirit, he's given us his word, which has been verified for 2,000 years. And in his word, and in particular, friends, 1 John, what we receive from God is not just some angel, but what we receive is his word assuring 
those who are in Christ, that they are safe, that they have salvation. 1 John, for instance, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote this book so that we would have assurance. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not in Christ, you're living a life on your own, for yourself, for the world, I don't have any word of assurance for you this morning. But if you've turned from your sin, trusted in Christ, repented, He's the Lord of your life, friends, I want you to know. Why? Because I think John wants you to know. Why does John want you to know? It's because God wants you to know. That's why God inspired John to write this. That you might know that you have assurance. Now, as we round out this text, this letter, we're coming toward the end of it, and John, in these three verses that we're looking at today, he really summarizes, I think, the entire point of his letter. So you might imagine writing a letter to a friend, and as you get to the end of the letter, you just kind of write a short summary of everything that you've said. This is your conclusion. And so what we're seeing here is actually John's conclusion. And what he says is, no, I want you to know, we know, this is what we know. Verse 18, he says, we know. Verse 19, he says, we know. Verse 20, he says, we know, so that we might know. I think of uh, that old song by Nicole C. Mullen. Remember that song back 15 years ago? I know that my Redeemer lives, the one song that she's... I know, I know, she said. I know that 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 I know. I know. He lives. I remember when I was younger, I heard that song. I was thinking, man, she is bold. But it's bo- it is bold, isn't it? And John is being bold here. See, a lot of times when we talk about our faith, we're like, yeah, the Christians believe this, or the Christian position is this, or the Bible says this about that thing. But do you know that? Is this somebody else's position? Or this might be true, and I kind of believe these things, but it's shaky. I think that's a lot of times how we talk about our faith to unbelievers. We don't even act like we believe these things. And we talk to them in the same way that they would talk. No, John says, I know something. These are absolute trees. Trees. These are absolute (laughs) truths. Just as you might know that that's a tree out there. You see where he's going with this. We know. So what do we know? Well, the, the, the problem is that we live in a sin-sick world. And because we live in a sin-sick world, it, it actually harms our ability to have assurance, to be able to say, we know. I mean, while there is such a thing as common grace... You can recognize beauty in, in music and in the arts and in uh, uh, film and in uh, community and neighborliness in business. While there is such a thing as common grace, it's all tainted by sin. Meaning like neighborhood association meetings, they typically never sit around and say, what would bring most glory to God in our neighborhood? <laughs> Somebody's been part of a neighborhood association back there. I think I got a witness. Music. Let's think about music for a second. Music is like 
is, is very uh, humanistic. So much of our, the music we listen to, it lifts up the human as the greatest God. Like there's this one pop song, I hate pop music. But there's this one pop song, I actually love the sound of it. I don't know the girl's name, but it, she talks about um, uh, going, uh, uh, even, if we, even if we miss heaven, you know what I'm talking about? Even if we don't find heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. You know these words, these lyrics? Do you like it? Well, I like the sound of it. <laughs> but then I listen to the lyrics, and I'm thinking like, wow, that's pretty ungodly. Like this idea that humans are lifted to such a, you know, the, your lover is, is sort of your highest being to the degree that I'm willing to walk. If you're, if you're not making it to heaven, I'm not making it to heaven either, is essentially what she's saying. If you're going to hell, I'm going to hell too. That's what she's saying. And we got, yeah, ain't going to happen. But see, what we're, we listened to, we're like, I actually YouTube this last night to listen to this song. And, uh, and I read the comments, and everybody's like, oh, this is so romantic. I love this. It's so beautiful. I'm like, but that's romance. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's romance today is lifting up the human being as the highest good. Movies, you know, there's a lot of common grace in film. I think it's beautiful. I, I love film. You know, at the same time, so many of our movies that we watch, they paint images, and they imagine what the world would be like if it was godless. Now, not to mention the fact that, that we are filled with temptations. Like, we are tempted to sin as, as much as we're tempted to eat. And so often, we just fall into it. Now, when we live in this sin-sick world, where everything points us away from God, and then we even find ourselves giving in to sin and committing sin, how can we have joyful assurance of our salvation? You see the challenge there? Now, that's what John has been getting at his entire letter, and so I'm not going to give you a 12-hour sermon today and repeat everything that we've previously said. It's all online if you'd like to listen to this series. But John is summarizing everything that he said in these three verses. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this sin-sick world, John says, we know something. We know something to be true. Look at verse 20. He says, so that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John's point is this, since God is eternal life, and since we are in Christ, and Christ is in God, therefore we can have joyful assurance of our eternal destination. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes here on this theme, what we know. What do we know? Number one, we know we've got protection from God. We know that we've got protection from God. Look at verse 18. We know, he says. Everybody say, we know. We know. This is the theme of the, these verses. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now let's pause right there. What does that mean that everybody who's born of God does not keep on sinning? Because I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem to apply to my life. 
what is John getting at here? Well, it cannot mean that we are sanctified. You see, there's a difference between being in a process of sanctification, where we're becoming more and more holy, and then being sanctified. Now, I don't believe the Bible teaches that we are sanctified this side of eternity, which means we're always going to be battling with sin in our life. And John's already made that clear. That's why we know he's not talking about that. In, in uh, uh, chap- chapter 1, verse 8, verse 7 and 8, basically says, look, if you deny that you sin, you're a liar. Like Christians sin. And he's already even just said in, in chapter 5, verse 16, that Christians commit sins. This is what we talked about last week. What do you do when a Christian commits sins? So John knows that Christians sin, and he's made that clear. And John's not stupid to where he's going to uh, say something that disagrees with what he just said in the same breath. So what's he talking about? Well, this is what I think he's talking about. Let me illustrate it first, and I'll explain it. There's a vine that grows up the side of the building at 1411 Utah, our office space, and then kind of wraps around the front of the building. And over the years that I've been here, I've watched this vine grow, and if it were to keep growing, the vine would eventually consume the entire building. But every once in a while, uh, some maintenance guy comes along, and he cuts the vine off at the root, and for a moment, you would not, not know that. Uh, it still looks very much alive, yet the, the life source has been cut off. And eventually the vine dies, dries up, turns brown, and falls off. Now, sin would, if it were not for God's grace, sin would consume you. But God, in his mercy, through giving you rebirth, which he's already talked about here, which is regeneration, that's actually becoming a Christian. It's conversion. Through giving you rebirth, he's given you new desires. He's, he's cut off root, uh, the, the root of sin. It's been cut off. Now, it still very much looks alive. There's still enough life in it, if you would, to where it's still, it's still kind of clinging to you. There's still a lot of marks from where it, it had its claws in your life. Yet, it is dead. You just haven't realized, fully realized that yet. And I think this is what John is saying. For those who are reborn, those who have been given this new life in Christ, he says, they don't sin. Or I think what he's saying is, is in our terms today, they don't keep on sinning. They don't, they don't continue in sin. They don't, they don't sin in such a way in which sin overtakes them, in which sin consumes them. And then he goes on. Being born of God, we're not going to continue in this way. Why? How? It says, but he who was, was born of God, now that's re- referring to Jesus, he who was born of God protects him. Jesus gives us protection. And then here's the, the outcome, the evil one, a.k.a. Satan or the devil, does not touch them. Why does Satan not touch us? Well, it's because we have protection from God. 
Now that word touch right there is used in other writings to reference lighting something on fire. I think you could read this. Satan doesn't consume them. Satan doesn't light them on fire. Like touch there is a violent word. It's not just touch. It's not just tempt and cause to fall into sin. It's, it's a consuming kind of touch. So how does God protect us? Well, I don't know exactly how. I think there is some mystery as to how uh, he protects us from that. He keeps us from falling away is the experience of it. And we know that we have it because we've been reborn. And so then Satan can't consume us. Satan can't destroy us. One young, young dude said to me one time, He'd been a Christian for a couple of years, and, and he was a little unhappy. And he said, you know, he said, I was happier when I was not a Christian. Because I could just do what I wanted to do, and it didn't bother me. But now I try to do the things I used to do, and I'm miserable. I can't sin like I used to. Good, praise God. I pray that God makes you more miserable. <laughs> Look, there is a sense in which we, we, as reborn people, we can't go on sinning like we used to. Like sometimes we uh, try to imagine a time where it's like, maybe I'll just sin for a season. You know, I'm going to set aside this week, and I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go to Las Vegas, all right? For a week. And I am just going to delight in the flesh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget God. I'm going to put that behind me just for one week. You understand what I'm saying? And then we get there. We get to our hotel in Las Vegas. And we try to sin in the way that we thought we were going to sin. We've got a problem. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still with us. The Holy Spirit is still convicting us. There's a sense in which I know in my life, God always put, creates a need in me for Him. So, so I could imagine a time where I could just go ahead and just delight in sin for maybe a, a week or maybe a couple of years. I can sort of imagine that time, and that sounds very appealing. But the reality is, is when I get there, God puts this need for Him in me. In such a way that I can't go on sinning because I need God. If you're a Christian, God will not lose you. And He will not lose you through making you miserable when you try to sin. He's going to keep us. He's going to protect us. We've got protection from God. The vine still looks very alive. But the reality is it's been cut off. It's dead. Just wait and see. Secondly, we know that we've got power over Satan. We've got protection from God, and we've got power over Satan. You see this in verse 19. 
Now, before I read it, kids tend to mimic their parents. Have you ever noticed that? They pick up mannerisms of their parents. So, for instance, when I, when I speak with Miss Bonita, I feel like I'm talking to an older uh, female version of Eric. And then I talk to Ashton, and I feel like I'm talking to a younger version of Eric. Why? It's because kids pick up the mannerisms of their parents. God's kind of designed us that way, I think. We tend to mimic our parents. So whether you like it or not, you find, I guarantee it, you find mannerisms of your parents in your life, don't you? Now, in uh, 1 John 3.10, we have been told that those who are outside of Christ are fathered by the devil, which means then that those outside of Christ have picked up the mannerisms of their father, the devil. Now, we've also been told that we are reborn. Here in verse 18, he says we're born of God. Here in verse 19, he says we know that we are from God, which is this idea of being from him in the sense of birth, which means that he's our father, which means there's, there's a permanency to this. Your daddy will always be your daddy. There's nothing you can do about that. So we are from God, meaning God is now our father, and so we then ought to be picking up the mannerisms of our Father. But the problem is, we, as Christians, often have a mimicking problem. Where we just pick up what the world is doing and mimic that. Well, look what he says here in verse 19. He says that we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We see this contrast here. The world and those of the world and God and those who are children of God. The world is a reference not to physical earth per se, but world in the scriptures is used as a reference to all living unbelievers. The systems of the world, the ways of the world. And what he's saying, this is a big claim. He's saying that that, that, that the world, all of those who are uh, 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 unbelievers and living according to the systems of the world, everything is under control of the devil. Now, the devil, or Satan, is an actual person, a being, if you would. He... he, he, he uh, is not just some mythological creature. And, and the mythological ideas we have of the devil that we see at Halloween are foolish because he doesn't come across as a goblin. He comes across as an angel of light. When the devil is deceiving you, it feels right and good. And what, what John is saying is that the unbelievers in this world are actually under his power. There is nobody outside of Christians who are not swayed by the devil. Now, on one hand, I, I don't want to be like all negative about planet Earth. You see, there is such a thing as uh, uh, common grace. And, and not only common grace, but the Earth, we're told, is ours. Which means the goods of the Earth are ours. And one day, eventually, will be. When Christ comes and remakes all things. You see, the prosperity gospel types, they've got it right to a degree. 
The problem is, is they, they're thinking of sort of earthly goods as ours, this side of eternity, when in reality, right now, it's all under the control of the devil. It will be ours on that side of eternity. And so in, in some sense, we don't want to just depreciate all of the world's goods. Like, it is good. You see what I'm saying? Music is good. Art is good. Movies are good. Yet, at the same time, it's all swayed and under contro the control of the devil right now. And that's a big claim. That means that the music that we often listen to can easily be used to sway our thinking. It means the movies we watch that create these worlds where uh, God doesn't exist, those movies can kind of sway the way that we think. When we get counsel from people who are unbelievers, we have to be weary and careful. I'm not saying don't ever get counsel. There are some things where an unbeliever is going to counsel you better than a believer. Matters of business, maybe. But at the same time, let's be careful. Because there is a, 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 a sway of the devil in that person's life. So let me give you three things then that we need to just be aware of as, and, and not forget. First, just simply don't forget that the world is under the sway of the devil. Like we have to be watchful. We have to be aware of this. How many times have you heard a Christian say something to the effect, I want a divorce because I want to be happy. And God wants me to be happy. Well, guys, that's the, that's the mannerisms of the devil. That's the way the world thinks. We're not to think that way. That's not the mannerisms of Jesus Christ. But see, too often we just regurgitate what the world says. And I've been convicted of this in my own life. So the world says this about politics, and we just regurgitate it and repeat it. The world says this about human sexuality, and we just regurgitate it. The world says this about marriage and divorce, and we just kind of regurgitate it and repeat it. The world says this about children, and we just regurgitate it and repeat it. We're just like constant repeat all the time. It's almost as if Christians sometimes don't even have a mind of their own. Like look at, look at your own statuses on social media. How much of it is just repeat of what the world says? What is our contribution as Christians? Like what, are, what do we say as people who have, been, have received the word of God? What do we say about things through this lens? So we can't just repeat the mannerisms of the world. Don't forget that it's all under the sway of the devil. Secondly, this shows us what we're up against. And we need to recognize what we're up against. We need to be on guard. We need to be as serpent as, uh, as, serpent as wise, as wise as serpents, and as innocent as doves. And ultimately, when we listen to all the counsel of the world, we are heading down an ugly path. Thirdly, John wants you to know that you have power over the world. While the world is under the control of the devil, you have power over the world. 
We're, we're from God, he says. We're born of God. He is our father. He is our daddy. And we then are going to mimic him eternally one day. So let's start mimicking him now. Because we can. Because the, the, the root of sin has been cut off. Because we have power. If we mimic the world, we will not have assurance. But when we begin to mimic Jesus Christ, we know. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. Thirdly, we, we know that we've got a position in Christ. So we've got protection from God, we've got power over the devil, and thirdly, we have a position in Jesus Christ. If these first two points of what we know are about the protection that we have from God, this third point is about our daily fellowship with God in a sin-sick world. Look at verse 20. It says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might, may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The, the logic here, the flow of what John is saying is, is, is that Christ has come from God. And because Christ has come, then we actually have understanding of who God is. And then if we are in Christ, in union with him, we know that Christ is in God, and so therefore we are in God. Or if I could kind of go uh, from, from back to front for you, God is eternal. He is eternal life. God is truth. And Christ is in God. And we are in Christ, so if we are in Christ, then we are in God. And how do we know that? We know that because God sent his son to reveal his true nature to us. And so then we have assurance in our eternal life because we have union with Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Now there's this theme here uh, that I think John is drawing back out for us, and that's this theme of propitiation, which we saw back in chapter 2, verse 2. Christ is the propitiation. Who remembers what propitiation means? Anybody at all? Somebody just raise your hand and make me feel good, please. <laughs> all right, now all you guys who just lied, all right? <laughs> propitiation. Let me just remind you of what propitiation means. For us, as believers in Jesus Christ. We are sinners. Because we are sinners, we have incurred the wrath of God. Because God is a holy God. And God, being a holy God, has wrath for sin. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Now, if God has wrath for sin, God, God's wrath needs to go somewhere. In order for God to be just. So Jesus comes. Jesus comes from God. He is the eternal God. Takes on flesh. Becomes human. He lives the life that we should have lived. He dies then on the cross. Now when Jesus dies on the cross, what he does is he takes the wrath of God that I deserve, he takes that on himself. And propitiation literally means wrath bearer. Christ then is the wrath 
bearer for us. He bore all of God's wrath for my sin. The sins that I've previously committed? Yep. The sins that I will commit? Yep. Once and for all, he died. Now, because of his death, then, Jesus becomes the safe place for sinners. He has paid for our sin. Propitiation is this big word that just simply means that Jesus Christ has paid it all. So Christ, then, becomes the safe place for sinners. See, a lot of times the religious types think of it backwards. If I'm a sinner, then that means I can't go to Christ. You know, there's the crucifix hanging, and there's the image of Jesus, and I've got to get some holy water, and I've got to do something and jump through a hoop or something like that in order to be able to approach the throne of God. Friends, that is backwards religiosity Pharisaism. Jesus is the only safe place for sinners to go. You're not going to get cleaned up apart from him. You don't get yourself together and then come to Christ. You come to Christ and Christ gets you together. So if we then come to Christ, what that means is that we have union with him. We are then in him, the safe place. And this is what I think John is saying as he's wrapping up his letter. He's reminding us that we are in the safe place of Jesus Christ. And there we find assurance. We don't find assurance through looking at, at, at ourselves. We find assurance through looking at Jesus Christ. Have you ever been reborn? Have you ever been uh, awoken by the Spirit of God? Have you ever realized that your sin is leading you to hell? Have you ever experienced this need for a Savior? And have you turned to Christ and found Him to be your Savior? Turn to Him now. Trust in Christ. Flee to Him. Run to Him. Get in the safe place of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to get yourself together. Stop trying to deal with your sin on your own. Run to Christ and find Him to be the Savior of the world. What a Savior He is. Amen? What a friend to sinners He is. How great is it that God has provided for us sinners a safe place. How great is it that we find ourselves in Christ. Amen? John wants you to know these things. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. You see, religious folks, they look at their own deeds and they still have... Eternal life for them is a mystery. I may or may not make it. Your religious folks, they live for the world. They enjoy all that the world has to offer. They enjoy sin to the fullest. And for them, eternal life is a mystery. But for us who are in Christ, eternal life is not a mystery. We know that we have life because we know that we are in Christ and Christ is in the true God. So we know that we are in God. 
as we close, I just want to mention the, uh, the recent shootings. It just seems like it's getting worse sometimes, doesn't it? Mass shootings. I feel like we hear about them more and more, the, frequent, the more frequent. I think of this church, First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas, who had a shooter come in, killed over half of their congregation. Reminds us of Emmanuel AME Church a couple years ago in Charleston. Shooter came in, killed nine in a Bible study. You know, all of this, these are, these are painful reminders for us that we are in a broken world. Like, some people are shocked by these things. We shouldn't be shocked. And I'm not saying that because we, that, I'm saying we should be numb or be calloused. But we shouldn't be shocked. When we think of how sinful the world is, what's shocking is that it doesn't happen more often. You see, there is such a thing as God's restraining grace, which means that God keeps the world from being as bad as it very well could be. It's as if God has a seatbelt on the world. And that seatbelt is uh, uh, the laws of the land and social shame and embarrassment if I do what I really want to do. But friends, imagine if that seatbelt were to come off. The world would erupt into the chaos that it already is on the inside. So how do we have assurance of our salvation in this world of chaos? Well, you know, when these shootings take place, the next day usually I I see this news clip called What We Know. What We Know About the Shooting. The shooter entered the east door of the building. The shooter had X amount of ammunition. These are the things we know. And I think what John is doing here at the end of this letter is John is flipping that for us. And we're, we're reminded of the chaos in which we live, the world that is under the control of the devil, and John is saying, here's what we know. Here's what we know. In this crazy world, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ. Christ has come into this world. Christ lived the life of righteousness which we should have lived on our behalf for us. His righteousness is imputed to us. Christ died on the cross for our sins. God imputed our punishment to him. Here's what we know is that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus has victory over death. He's got victory over sin. He's got victory over the grave. Where is your sting, the Bible says? What can death ultimately do to the believer? It's lost its potency in our life. And here's what we know, is for all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, we are in him, we are in the safe place, and we have assurance in Jesus Christ. That's what we know. Now, uh, I, wanna, I want you guys to stand. Stand on up with me. Stand up. A lot of the creeds that we read, they're, they're man-made, man-written creeds, which are summaries of what the scriptures teach, and they're often we-believe statements, which are good, and, and they fill their fulfill their purpose. That's, that's probably the best wording for the man-written creeds, that we, the man-made creeds that we, that we recite together. But this is a we-know statement. John doesn't say we believe these things. 
John doesn't even say, I know these things. But John is looking at those who are in Christ, and he's saying, we know a couple things. So I want to read this together as a we know statement. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God for us today. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm just going to ask that you listen as we read these things, and I want you to know that we know these things. All right? But if you are trusting in Christ, I invite you to read this we know statement with us. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Amen. Father, we thank you for the fact that we know these things. Thank you for assuring us. Thank you for giving us the assurance that comes subjectively as we experience and, and uh, experience the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. I thank you for the objective assurance that we have as we look to Jesus Christ, to the historic accounts of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. As we hear his promises and see them unfold, and know that you are a promise-keeping God. God, I thank you for the assurance that we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.